And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Total Soccer Show, and our review of Argentina's World Cup semi-final victory over Croatia. Lots of things at this World Cup have not made sense, like what was happening in this game with Croatia's defence. Argentina had too much and were able to play through even when several Croatians stuck to Messi like glue. The Albis Celeste have found momentum and will now face the Bere or the Fez, and they'll hang their hat on Julian Alvarez. Will Argentina triumph in the final? Will this team soar? Or will they get the same result as 2014 and the Falklands War? My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today is a man who is a World Cup finalist of our hearts and minds, Taylor Rockwell, shaking his head. Hello. I knew there would be an England reference in there somewhere to make yourself feel better. I didn't know it would be that quickly and go straight to the Falklands. I guess I should have anticipated. But either way, commiserations to you in England, Ryan, for failing to make the World Cup final, unlike Argentina, who did it and did it in resounding style, no less. Uh, They were much classier than my intro, Taylor, I think, is the uh, (laughs) resounding uh, takeaway from this situation. (laughs) I mean, you know, uh, it depends on your perspective. I'm sure lots of English people appreciated that one, and I'm sure lots of Argentinian people would like a word with you, Ryan. Uh, Anyway, moving on, joining us, Taylor, a man who'll surely be coaching the Republic of Arizona at the World Cup in 2026. Joe Lowry, is this true? I mean, if we can expand a bit further beyond 48, sure, I'm in. Let's get Arizona uh, out of the United States. Let's get them their own team. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I still don't fully understand. There's history to this, but I don't fully understand what the history is as to why England and Scotland and Northern Ireland get to have their own soccer teams. Just because, Joe. Maybe we can do with Arizona, too, is my point. I'm going to get a tumbleweed, a cactus, and then some of our actual good soccer players from this state to represent us at the World Cup. I'm here for it. I I like the sound of that. Maybe every state should have their own team, like Rhode Island with its six people as well, Joe. Yeah, I think that could work. I mean, this is... This is anything. Uh, th- this is not anything new. I'm afraid this idea. This is like the same social media content that like soccer brands will do when there's nothing to talk about. Like, oh, which team from Texas would Texas beat California in a soccer game? It's like, well, uh, I don't know. But maybe at this expanded World Cup in 2026, Ryan, we'll find out. Yeah. Well, if there's one team who's going to blaze a trail, Joe, it's you guys with your different time zones and your giant deserts right. and your. Old Republicans, everything you got going on there. Rounding out our pack, Joe is a man who makes up words like they're going out of fashion. It's Graham Zippy Ruffin. I did not make up that word. That word is common lexicon in Scotland. And are you going to argue that that word doesn't make sense? Do you know what I'm talking about when I say a zippy, Ryan? I bet you do. And therefore, the word works. Don't argue with me. Argue with the country of Scotland. Sounds like a children's puppet, Graham. I mean, it is a children's puppet on a t- on Rainbow. Is that not the TV yeah, Graham, show? Yeah. Graham, I would I would caution you against inviting Ryan to take it up with the entirety of the nation of Scotland because that feels like a thing that Ryan would enjoy doing very much. 
That's true. Yeah, he basically does that in every episode anyway. Yes, he so does. He doesn't need the invitation. Very true, very true. I'm quite the firebrand tonight. I apologize, gents. But while we're on the subject of things we should endorse, patreon.com slash Show. Thank you to everyone who's been supporting us on there so far. Lots of bonus content, bonus podcasts, videos, blog posts. Do check it out if you are so inclined. We'd love you to do so. Uh, a couple of things before we get to the main event of this podcast, gents. Firstly... Richarlison's back tattoo. We have to talk about it. So this one was circulating online. He put it on his Instagram stories. Uh, if you haven't seen it, listener, uh, Richarlison has a new back tattoo. It's a back tattoo of himself, so very Leroy Sane. Uh, but he is joined by Ronaldo, as in Brazilian R9 Ronaldo, on his left. And to the right of him flanking him is Neymar. Um, Graham, it's not a good tattoo. No, particularly after you showed me I don't have tattoos, so I don't know the terms, but after it's kind of been shaded in, the Neymar one. So initially I thought the Neymar likeness was pretty good, but they've decided to put him, or Richarlison's decided to put him in eye tattoo. I think he's a member of The Cure now um, by the looks <laughs> of it. Yeah, it's it's not a great tattoo, it's pretty, uh, the way it's going. I want to see the finished thing, but uh, there's all, I also don't want to see the finished thing the way it's going. This This yeah. tattoo is the tattoo version of the statue of Cristiano Ronaldo. That went so well. That's exactly yes. what it reminds yes. me of. It's it's awful. It really is awful. Graham's right that the you know the outline of it initially looks fine. The Neymar drawing looks looks good. It looks just like him, and the colored inversion looks like what the Ronaldo statue looks like. I just cannot unthink that thought. Taylor, if you scored a couple of unbelievably good goals at a World Cup final, uh, who would you get tattooed on your back? I, I think I would get the Richarlis, like Richarlison's back with Richarlison on my back. So it would be yes. like a tattoo within a tattoo. Joe, that's a great shout. It really is the Ronaldo statue. I would say I would get that on there as well, but I don't need any images of Ronaldo. This looks to me, if people haven't seen it, like he started doing it and it was okay. And then halfway through, he made a bet with somebody that like, if Brazil loses and Argentina advances, then his Argent- Argentine friend gets to finish the piece. And that's what's happening because it is taking a turn. <laughs> And not a great turn, I would say. I think Joe's mm. on the money with the uh, the statue comparison. But, you know, uh, why not get the full back piece? I'll get Richarlison getting his tattoo on my back. Uh, and then, Joe, what, what was the full back piece that we assigned you previously? I, I don't remember, but I was just remembering that that was in TSS lore. I can't remember. Maybe a listener will remember what it is. I also, sorry, I can't get over the fact that Richarlison put himself next to Neymar and Ronaldo. That's like... Maybe this is too extreme. That's like Eric Williamson putting himself on a tattoo next to Landon Donovan and Clint Dempsey. Like I don't, I, I, I don't get it. I, what what makes you think you have the right to do Ma- that? If you're picking your own Mount Rushmore to go on your own back, you're probably going to put yourself on there, even if it's undeserved. I guess <laughs> then my my thesis is just don't do that in the first place because Charleston yeah. is not Neymar and he's not Ronaldo. It just it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Bill yeah, Burke, look at Bill- me and all my friends. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Bill Burr has the, the joke about Steve Jobs' arrogance where he's doing a presentation and it's like his photo and then like Jesus and Gandhi and it's like, Jesus, Gandhi, me! And that feels like what <laughs> Richarlison has gone for a little bit here of, you know, just uh, putting himself up amongst some fairly mm. high-achieving footballers. I mean, that that said, like he's putting himself up with Neymar, who's a contemporary. At least it's not like Pele, Ronaldo, Richarlison. But Pele's signature's on there. 
Hmm. It is, which feels like an afterthought a little bit. And and also that yeah, there's some there's some random stuff on there. Maybe it will get filled out. Uh, I, I can't believe we're going this long on Rich Ellison's tattoo, this is but at the same time, Taylor. I could go longer. I could probably <laughs> <Yeah>. go longer. <laughs> Let's do part two on it as well. But why don't we uh, go to the World Cup semi-final? Argentina throw Croatia, uh, three Croatia nil. Graham, by the way, before we actually get to the details of the game, I had this feeling today that it wasn't a this is a World Cup semi-final day feeling. It felt like a normal yeah. cold December yep. Tuesday, and I was not pumped up at all. And I think. That's a feeling that I felt throughout this tournament. Well, maybe not at the group stage when it was coming thicker fast and we were all best buds hanging out at our Brooklyn HQ. But like for this game, it, winter doesn't work for me, Graham. Yeah, I'm not even sure it felt like the World Cup when we were in Brooklyn. I think that felt more like college, uh, to be honest. <laughs> but yeah, all the way through, it's been a weird World Cup. And I totally share that today. I, t- I tweeted about it. It really does not, it did not feel like a World Cup semi-final was happening today. It felt like, it felt more like a big Champions League game or or, or even kind of like a, a like a Nations League game or, or something like that. Just the fact that it's minus six outside and, and snowing just does not make it feel like a world cup at all i I need beer gardens is what i need for i need i need moderate sunshine and light drizzle for scotland anyway and beer gardens to watch a world cup semi-final might i suggest moving to phoenix graham might i suggest moving to phoenix hey (laughs) y'all light drizzle joe in phoenix uh in certain times of year yeah we get a lot of rain in particular seasons yeah I didn't realize that you were still insisting that there be a light drizzle with your world. Like, it can't even be a clear day for Graham. It has to be a light drizzle even when it's warm outside. Yeah, yes. come on. Let's not get too carried away. My God. <laughs> Joe, I'm sure in, in uh, Phoenix you have a light drizzle of ranch dressing on your Guy Fieri salads, right? <laughs> Ryan, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I've never been to a Guy Fieri restaurant, but I would imagine there are several people in Arizona that would put ranch on a Guy Fieri salad, yes. Mm. By the sounds of how this podcast has started, I'm not the only one who feels like a World Cup semifinal yeah, didn't happen we're today. We're <laughs> super excited to talk about yeah. this game, clearly. Man. Yeah. Yeah, uh, let's get to it though. Argentina 3, Croatia 0. The 2014 losing finalists beat the 2018 losing finalists to reach the 2022 final. Uh, Leo Messi with a penalty to open up the scoring after uh, Livkovic fouled Alvarez. Then we had uh, Alvarez getting the goal on the break for 2-0 and getting the third as well, bearing this game in the second half. Taylor, I suppose Mm -hmm. we should probably start with Lionel Messi, who... For the first maybe 15 or 20 minutes was doing his walking around and sort of surveying the field yep. kind of that thing we saw at Barcelona so much. And then yep. suddenly he went, all right, I'm going to I'm going to start being amazing now. Well, so by all accounts, that's a thing that lots of different footballers do. Very good footballers at that. Uh, Zinedine Zidane famously would sort of remove himself from the opening 10 minutes to observe what his team was doing, what the opposition was doing, how they were counteracting each other and then where he could Uh, operate successfully within that setup. And it did feel like Messi was doing that same thing. Uh, John Strong and Stu Holden in the beginning talked about like Messi walking. Messi walks 70% of the time, but that 30% you got to pay attention to. And I get where that was coming from. As the game progressed, I thought he was the most determined, dedicated runner for Argentina. You could tell that he knew the World Cup final was right around the corner. You could tell that he was like just feeling it, that he was taking people on. He was battling for everything. He draws that foul at the very end of the first half and is laying on the ground. And then, an interesting thing, despite being 2-0 up, clearly very annoyed that he doesn't get to take the free kick and they don't get an opportunity to go 3-0 up before halftime. And it was the messy game that... Uh, Graham, I know you have similar thoughts. It was the messy game I didn't know I needed and yeah. how much I've wanted 
Messi, really any of the big, big names. Like we go back to the Euros when Portugal wins it, but Ronaldo's on the sideline and it's not really like his tournament. Neymar, it felt like was going to be his tournament in 2014 and then he gets injured. And Messi and World Cups past, it, it hasn't felt like it clicked. It felt like Argentina were like winning by just like giving him the ball or winning in spite of him. Sometimes it didn't feel like he was a key part of that team or they'd figured out how best to use him. This iteration of Argentina absolutely feels like it does. And we're seeing what it is when Argentina click and Messi clicks. They are unplayable at times. And I felt like Croatia were just overrun from the jump. And it's really, really exciting to see an in-form dominant Lionel Messi uh, and his and his national team side coasting to the final. Yeah. I mean, it has been a joy to watch Messi mm-hmm. at, the, at this World Cup. And it feels like uh, an itch has been scratched for, for me personally. And I'm similar to you, Taylor. I, I didn't realize how much I wanted to see a top-level Messi at a World Cup. But it turns out that I kind of needed that before he reti- he retires. And it's ironic because this Argentina team isn't as reliant on Messi as, as past Argentina teams ha- have been. There is a system around him. I know he's still the primary difference maker for this team, but there is a system around him. And Scaloni, I think, is, is a good coach. We've seen that throughout the tournament with the changes that he's made. He's definitely not Diego Maradona in, 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 the, in the dugout. Mm. But it seems like the assurance of it, of it not all being down to Messi has kind of just freed him up. And he has been un- unstoppable. His, his dribble for the third goal today... I mean, there was a few ridiculous moments, but that dribble in particular was absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. And it's just, it's not just that he can like beat a man because we know he can do that. It's the way he can steady himself at the byline. Kind of like, it reminded me of like standing on a gymnastics beam where, you know, if you go, if, if you get your balance wrong, you're off the pitch and the ball runs out of play. And then he, not only does he steady himself, he then picks out the pass for, for, for Alvarez. And I have definitely taken Messi for granted over the years, but I am a bit more sentimental about watching him at this World Cup he's 35 by the time I mean I know he's defied logic all the way through his career but three and a half years from now 13 39 uh, yeah. maybe not going to be at this level so yeah I'm very much enjoying watching watching him have this swan song it feels like he's playing with freedom and there's a bit of me that thinks he should retire on Sunday if Argentina win and I'm <laughs> I, like I, I don't know if I want that but if you look at how like Ronaldo has mismanaged his mortality take that possibility out of the equation go out at the very top he'd be remembered as the best ever for a very very long time and I think about how Salz Ferguson was immortalized by his final image being a winning one a winning one that's there for Messi on Sunday so as much as I, I maybe don't want him to retire I think it has to be in his mind so, yeah I hear you find achievement I just the the concern for me is will we ever rate him as one of the best of all time if he doesn't win MLS Cup? I, I think that's right. Has to you've taken the you've literally <laughs> taken the words out of my mouth, Graham. The winning image is still there. The hope for that image is of still course. there. US win Open or Cup. lose on Sunday, U.S. Open <laughs> U.S. Open Cup. That's exactly what I was going to say. No, I mean no. Messi was phenomenal in this game. This game was sweet. I know we we kind of poked fun. Th- this game was not as good as the quarterfinal games were. I think especially the, that last day of quarterfinal matches and, and the fact that we are in the winter and it's a Tuesday. It, it feels strange, right? All of it feels strange. But this game was sweet in a lot of ways because it was Messi versus Modric. And, and soccer is about so much more than those individual players. This game was about so much more than those individual players. But this is likely the last time we'll ever see either one of them at a World Cup. Luka Modric didn't have the impact on this game that he would have wanted, but still did a ridiculous number of things ridiculously well. Messi had the impact on this game that he wanted. I was shocked that Scaloni left him on the field for the entire game with a World Cup final less than a week yeah. away. He he played 90-plus minutes. He played 90 minutes plus stoppage time. That blows my mind. You were up 2-0 at halftime. I cannot fathom that decision 
It didn't come back to bite Argentina. They're going to be fine heading into the final. Messi was excellent today. He did so many things so well, completed more dribbles than any other player, has that ridiculous assist that Graham walks us through. I love the balance beam example illustration there, Graham. He was phenomenal. I didn't think Argentina, to be honest, were like super special today. But when you have Messi on your team, you don't have to be super special because he will be. Indeed. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's dig even more into this one. Back shortly. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Uh, Graham, I presume you were watching the UK coverage. My understanding is there was a big debate at halftime yeah. about the penalty <laughs> and whether it should have been a penalty. Like, what are the arguments that it shouldn't have been? 
Uh, I'm not even sure that I can articulate it. I guess it's the <laughs> argument that all three pundits made, made, and I think it was the prime example of groupthink, where what I think happened was Roy Keane said, in typical Roy Keane fashion, there's no way that's a penalty, and then Gary Neville and Ian Wright were basically a little bit scared to go up against Roy Keane. I think that's what might have happened. But yeah, they were arguing that it wasn't a penalty basically because... Um, they were arguing that Alvarez had run into the goalkeeper and not what? the goalkeeper. <laughs> yeah, it was unbelievable, Taylor. It was genuinely unbelievable. Wow. My Twitter timeline was alight. And then it went back to the commentary and Ali McCoyst, good old sweet Ali McCoyst, Uh-oh. basically went through them and called them clowns and said there they had go. no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is the most penalty kick penalty i've ever seen in my life maybe not but it's it's a stonewaller for me right yeah absolutely Uh, what i assumed you were going to say is that he gets a shot off an attempt on of a shot off before there's that contact which i could see how you could then argue well he gets the shot off and then there's the foul so if you're giving advantage you've got to see what happens but a thing i always go back to assuming it's still in the rules they seem to change them every like four months or so so who knows is the idea that if you deny the player the opportunity to continue making a play on the ball, then it's going to be judged as a foul. And in this case, even though Alvarez gets that foot to it and does sort of get the shot off, I think, number one, you could argue he's not able to get a full shot because he's being fouled and anticipates that contact. But number two, the ball isn't going to cross the line. It is cleared, and then the penalty is given. And I think there's an argument there that if he put that round uh, Livakovic and then ran the other side there's a chance maybe he gets there and is able to put it in. He can still make that play. When you take him out like that, you deny the opportunity. That definitely feels like Roy Keane said it's not, and everybody was like, you know what? We're close to the end. I'm not trying to get into a fist fight near the end of the World Cup. Fine, Roy. It's not a penalty. Whatever you say, buddy. The play's not dead when Alvarez takes his shot, and then the goalkeeper, whichever way you want to look at it, restricts Alvarez from making a second play on the ball. So I don't think I think the right call is made, and I've seen Dale Johnson, who is always my my go-to guy and stuff like this. A lot of people saying, "Well, is that a red card?" Dale saying, "Well, here's the reason why it's not a red card." So that seems to have been the correct decision, and then the penalty seems to be the correct decision. So I I yeah. don't really know what they're talking about on ITV. The only thing I can think is, and I'm guessing we all felt this that there's that goal. It sort of takes the wind out of Croatia's sails such as there was wind in there. And then there's the second goal right after that one. And at that point, it feels like this is probably done. And I the only thing I can figure is that they wanted a bit more spectacle. And there was a feeling that the penalty sort of killed that spectacle, killed the the potential for something to happen. And so in that way, it shouldn't have been a penalty. And now they have to justify it from that yeah. perspective. Uh, but I don't, I, I don't, your, your feelings don't count here, Roy. Uh, I know that you're a very <laughs> sentimental person, Roy. I know that you're very emotional. You like to talk about your feelings. You like to talk it out. But in this case, we can't let yeah. that happen. It's a penalty. Can, can we talk a little bit about the game up until the penalty? Because I thought Please that no was... until Ricky and I said that. He'll come after me. <laughs> so, yeah, is he, he will... listening? I'm... I hope he's not. <laughs> he will hunt you down. Um, yeah, the, the match up until the penalty, had it, it wasn't exhilarating, certainly, but it was reasonably interesting yeah. because... The first 30 minutes was kind of what we predicted it would be. It was it was KG. After 25 minutes, Croatia had 61% of possession. Their pass completion after 25 minutes was 100%, amazingly. And Messi had had just 12 touches of the ball. And at that point, it felt like neither team was, was prepared to take many risks with the ball when they had it. And that was particularly evident when Croatia had possession because Argentina, up until this point, and this did change over the course of the game, but at that stage, they weren't interested in pressing. And it just meant there were times when the game was being played at walking pace. Um, but then Argentina kind of realised that by dropping their defensive line and then inviting Croatia further forward, they could create ch- chances in the break, which is how the, the two opportunities for the, the first two goals come about but up until the penalty I thought Croatia were 
more than holding their own. It felt like they were winning the midfield battle. As I say, Messi hadn't been involved much. And Mateo Kovacic was doing an incredible job yes. of bursting through with the ball. There were two, a couple of moments of, of uh, there were a couple of really exciting runs in particular where he basically decided to take on the entire Argentina team himself. And he was very, very good at it, almost got through. But up until, I mean, I'm very, very reluctant to use the old tired cliche goals change games. But I think in this case, it did change the dynamic of the match and Croatia will feel a little bit aggrieved that they did kind of concede at the first opportunity. Yeah, I thought Croatia had some nice looks in possession, Graham. You mentioned Kovacic there. Brozovic would drop between the center backs or next to them to give them that that sort of plus one against Alvarez and Messi. So they had an advantage there. And then Kremrich as the nine would drop into midfield along with Kovacic and Modric and would create a plus one there. So so Croatia had very clearly come into this game knowing Argentina like to defend in that 4-4-2 mid-block. Okay, we see that. We're going to drop players into these spaces to overload. The issue for Croatia is, well, actually, let me back up. I think one thing they did well was control. They were in control, and I've been beating this drum throughout this World Cup because I think it's important. They were in control of the match, which is useful because Argentina didn't create much of anything early on in this game. They had a couple of flashes, but they weren't all that dangerous going forward. The issue for Croatia is that they weren't dangerous either, right? They weren't creating chances. You know, one of their best early moments is a Ivan Perisic chip that's like from this ridiculous angle on the left side that was never going to find the back of the net. They just weren't dangerous. And, and that's been a theme for Croatia throughout this tournament. They're in the bottom third, I believe, of World Cup teams in this competition, the entire competition, uh, in terms of chances created based on expected goals, right? They're averaging coming into this match just over one expected goal a game. They hadn't really created much at all outside of the match against Canada. And they created a little bit of it against Japan, but they are, they're just not very good at finding moments to attack and really break through, right? They can control the match, they can probe, but they're not this really dangerous team that's going to put you on the edge. And Argentina, I think, were okay with giving them some of the ball. They, they were okay with letting Croatia possess, okay with letting them have control, or at least letting them think they're in control. There's a Bane quote in there somewhere, I think, if anybody wants to do that. But then, <laughs> I got it. then it's Argentina getting, Graham, like you said, getting the ball and attacking on the break. And Croatia's center backs in this game kind of were their undoing on that moment, right? Dejan yeah. Lovren on the first goal drops and Guardiol thinks that they're holding the line and, and it, it's Ulian Alvarez getting in behind. And we already talked about the penalty. That, that was kind of it, right? And then it's another moment of just like this comedy of errors. Yeah, I tweeted something about I think we need Yakety Sacks on this because it's it's uh it's Sosa and shoot, I forget who the first defender is. I have it in my notes, better have my notes pulled up. It's uh it's a couple of different players. It's Juranovic and Sosa who can't clear the ball as Julian Alvarez is just like clattering through them. It's this absurd goal that nobody's ever gonna remember for any reason other than that it was hilarious. And it's two 0 and all of a sudden the game's over. And I don't know, it hurt a little bit to see Croatia's run end. But I don't think they, they really deserve to go much farther, which is harsh, but I think I think it's probably true. Joe, my my, uh, my buddy uh, like described that goal as the goal that you concede in FIFA when you're just smashing yep. the clear it out button and then, and then the computer somehow yeah. keeps getting the ball back and scores and you like rage quit. Uh, good, good on Croatia for not rage quitting, but they didn't quite uh, find another way back into that game. And, and I, I thought Argentina did throw some interesting things at Croatia before they scored those goals. First of all, I think Graham has given us the uh, the summary of the tournament. It wasn't exhilarating, but it was at least interesting. The 2022 World <laughs> Cup, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but I thought Argentina did some 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 good stuff with the way that they 
They didn't quite press, but they set numbers higher up, uh, exemplified by Otamendi basically sprinting 30 yards from his own half to win a tackle and like force a throw in. Uh, and basically, it's just trying to shut down any ability of Croatia to play through. But then when Argentina would get the ball deeper, Lionel Messi would come very deep. The fullbacks would push very high. And I think they were just like very successful at disorienting uh, Croatia so that they could keep them spread, they could keep them pinned back, and they kept having... If not easy passes, they always had a safe pass on. And I contrast that with Argentina. Like at time, I felt like Argentina had 12 or 13 players on the pitch. The way Croatia really struggled to connect and find passes and find opportunities. Kovacic makes those runs, and they are really impressive. At the same time, he kind of has to keep making that run because there keeps being a defender on him and then another defender and then an- another defender. And even if he gets through them, there's no one around him. And so yeah. I felt like Argentina did a good job of sort of just suffocating they were like if you're playing checkers they never move their back line so it was just sort of this like Croatia just ran into a wall and didn't know what to do whereas Argentina I felt like had different ways they were trying to attack and build and sometimes it was through Messi sometimes it was direct sometimes it was down the channels and I think that variation uh, ended up causing problems because I think it kept Croatia spread out and inconsistent and in that inconsistency Mm -hmm. Argentina were able to thrive. And and even in, at the start of the second half, where Croatia make the change with Petkovic coming on, which I think the plan there was essentially just to be a little bit more direct, have a bit of physicality up front, and, and it worked for about 50 minutes. I mean, I say it worked, that they didn't really create any clear-cut opportunities, but you got the sense that Croatia were being more effective and having a foothold higher up the pitch. And then Scaloni, who I, I've, I've been so impressed with Scaloni throughout Agreed. this tournament, the way, the, the way he's changed from game to game. If you look at Argentina in that first match, and obviously they lose to Saudi Arabia 2-1. We spoke about that at the time, um, about how that felt more like a Spain 2010 win than whatever, France losing to Senegal in 2002. But even since that match, you know, players like Alvarez have come into the team, Enzo Fernandez. So the team has evolved from that point until now. And he changes to a back five for the mm-hmm. when Croatia bring Petkovic on. They bring on Lissandro Martinez, who, despite Jamie Carragher's thoughts on Martinez, he is very good in the air. He wins a lot of aerial duels. And so he just completely... Um, nullifies Petkovic as a threat and Argentina from that point are just able to see out the game. Croatia don't really have anything else to offer. So I think Scaloni, yes, the match was all a bit messy. Alvarez has been super impressed with him, but Scaloni in, in a managerial sense has been so impressive as well. Agreed. And and another aspect of uh, Martinez coming on, it puts them in that back three and then it sends the fullbacks obviously a bit wider to become those wingbacks. And Talia Fico especially was able to basically pop out and make big plays. He has two different huge slide tackles that both times launch counterattacks the other way. It's that tackle that not only wins the ball, but sends it 30 yards back upfield to another teammate. And I don't think that could have happened if that tactical adjustment isn't made because otherwise he is necessarily having to start just a little bit more central, a little bit deeper. Once you have the three center backs there, you've got the middle clogged with the numbers ahead of them. So then he can sort of operate by popping out and shutting down that channel. And Taliafico did that really well. That's a great adjustment from Scaloni to nullify, I think, the threat out wide. Croatia probably content to get the ball wide in dangerous positions and then ping it into the box and see what happens. And it felt like that wasn't really that much of a threat once they go to a back three and once they're able to kind of police those those corridors a bit more. So again, I think a smart adjustment from Scaloni. Uh, we'll see if leaving Messi on the entire time was a smart adjustment, but everything he did was smarter than Croatia playing in their navy blue. And I feel like that was not Number one, the drawback to this game was that Croatia not in their red and white shirts. 
It just didn't feel like Croatia. It didn't feel like the same Croatia. It didn't feel quite as intimidating. It felt like uh, the USA in a slightly darker color, and uh, and they looked about as effective as the USA sometimes looks uh, in in, in, in uh, their games. And really kind of a disappointing game overall, but uh, I guess credit to Argentina for making it disappointing for Croatia. Look like a bunch of Gia Reynas out there. Is that what you're saying, Taylor? <laughs> Twitter, Twitter will come for you. You best be careful. <laughs> I'm on fire Roy Keane's coming uh, for me. Twitter's coming for you. <laughs> and the nation of Argentina. Ryan, you are racking up the list of enemies on this episode. Yep, yep. I'm, I'm taking names tonight. <laughs> That's what uh, it does. Leonardo Scaloni, uh, I think I mentioned this in the previews. Um, they called this team La Scaloneta, which is a play on, uh, this is in the Argentine media. It's like a play on his name. It's a kind of bus. So there's lots of pictures in the Argentine media of this bus with all the players on the Scaloneta, which they've evidently ridden uh, all the way to the final now, which, uh, mm. which is very good for and- them. The thing about Scaloni as well, just to jump in, he was um, like a cheap option. So they had Jorge Sampoli as their manager and they spent so much getting rid of him. His his severance package was something like uh, $10 million or something like that, I read. So they didn't have any money to hire anyone else. They got Leno Scaloni just to come in because basically he was Messi's mate and it's been a bit of a Southgate appointment. I don't, I don't think Sampoli ever was caught drinking a pint of wine, but nonetheless, the, the comparison is uh, is there. <laughs> is indeed uh joe i don't think we saw um derek zoolander out there in the front line for argentina tonight but we did see um of course julian alvarez it's it's curious to me that for brazil and argentina their lines have been led by a guy who doesn't play for man city and a guy who isn't guaranteed to play for tottenham in uh in richarlison it's kind of strange when you look at it like that yeah it it is funny to think about it that way i think we fall into the trap of thinking that Julian Alvarez isn't a good player because he's not Erling Holland, and and maybe yeah. folks like me didn't watch a ton of him in Argentina before he goes and, and makes that move. He is a phenomenal player. He is so so good, and Richarlison showed, you know, despite his lack of judgment when it comes to tattoos, that he's an excellent number nine as well. Graham, I know you were banging that drum. I'll, I'll bang the Alvarez drum because I thought he was phenomenal today. I thought he's been really really good at this tournament so far. The types of runs that he makes, and, and this is there especially on the third goal. It's the messy assist that's going to get all the praise, but the messy assist isn't the messy assist without Julian Alvarez waiting and waiting and finding the spot sort of you know towards the near post and finishing that chance. It's a great bit of off-ball skill from, from Alvarez in that moment. He's a really good, well-rounded player that, that yeah. may never be... He will never be as flashy as someone like Holland or Mbappe or even Karim Benzema and how Benzema brings others into the game. But Alvarez, to me, looks like a striker that's going to be scoring 15 goals minimum in an elite European league at an elite level in the world for a decade. I believe he's 22 right now. He has, you know, 10, 10 double-digit goal seasons, if not 15, 20, 25 goal seasons in him. He's really, really good. Credit to City for for signing him. I know he wasn't some unknown in Argentina, but it's a, it's a phenomenal move by them that will likely still continue to go under the radar even after this World Cup. Because they also signed Erling Holland. Yeah, I, I think Alvarez's main quality is his appreciation of of space, which is really important for this Argentina team if you're playing up front for them. Because Alvarez's strike partner is Lionel Messi, and what is Messi's position? You know, Messi is is dropping deep, he's drifting out wide. Sometimes he's through the middle, and so you need someone who basically is okay with and is capable of filling in around him. You need someone who can be a bit of a wide man, and we saw that in possession on the break. He was playing that role, but then out of possession, Alvarez is the front man. He's the one leading the press, and in other times when Messi is the one drifting out wide, as we saw for the third goal, and Joe, you highlighted that highlighted it there. 
with Alvarez just waiting and dropping dropping a little bit deeper from the byline and waiting centrally. I think that appreciation appreciation and intelligence is what makes him so perfect for this team. I thought Lautaro Martinez was going to be yep. a big player for Argentina in, in this World Cup. I thought it, it, I actually might have tipped him even for the golden boot. That hasn't happened, but I think this Argentina team was set up for another for at least one centre forward that isn't Messi to, to do well, and Alvarez has been that player at this tournament. Yeah, Graham, I was right there with you with thinking it would be Lautaro. That was my uh, nod after Benzema got hurt. Uh, and so to see him sat on the bench as Alvarez does what he's doing, I think, again, credit to Scaloni. Uh, Dybala gets minutes here, but is sitting on the bench too. So too is Angel Di Maria. Maybe injuries playing a part in that. But to have those types of names on the bench is telling to me because I think Argentina managers of the past would have persisted, would have tried to find a way to kind of force those names in there. Iguain being a big example of that in the past. And and I think, again, it's credit to Scaloni for going with the squad that works and going with personnel that fit based on the opponent and allow them to play the way they want to. And thus far, it's working. So uh, long may it continue, or at least one more game may it continue. Um, Obviously, we don't know the opponent as we record, Taylor, but would you imagine Alvarez gets the start in the final? Yeah, I mean, I think like Lotaro probably does different things based on the opposition. Uh, So if maybe Argentina are expecting to have more of the ball like if the opponent's going to be bunkered, maybe Lataro was in there as kind of a like fox in the box, but I I, I don't see that happening uh, if it is going to be against France and even if it is against Morocco. So I think Alvarez, uh, yeah, should be the starter. That'd be my guess. I, th- I think you have to ride with the hot hand, right? He started yeah. every game but the first two. So I, that was that four straight games for Argentina. They're scoring goals. They've scored seven, nine, nine in their last four games. That's a lot of goals. Alvarez is finding good spots. He clearly is connecting well with Messi. I think, yeah, I think you have to leave him on. And, and what a, a benefit for Argentina to have someone like Lautaro Martinez to bring off the bench. That's a luxury that certainly Morocco won't have if they reach the final. France will have other quality options as well. But yeah, I, I think, Ryan, you have to have Alvarez in there. Uh, riding the hot hand is another great phrase from Joe Lowry. I think earlier today you said something about <laughs> twisting the pretzel, which uh, really, you, you've got a lot of excellent homespun sayings, Joe, is what, is what I want to say. Riding the hot hand's not mine. That's like an American sports term of some sort, right, Taylor? Like that, that I think most Americans maybe would have heard before. No, nope, yeah. Taylor's looking at me in a oh, very yeah. bewildered way. No, I know. I'm agreeing. I'm agreeing. Okay, cool. But yeah, yeah. Pretzel, the pretzel one I came up with on the fly. No, I'm, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> suggesting you made up the hot hand thing. I get it, Joe, but I just think it sounds very good and you're very proactive. It's with just, it. just funny how Joe gets praised for his, but Zippy <laughs> and diluting juice gets me in. Gives, gives me grief. To be fair, Graham, yours sense. do sound like Sesame Street characters, and mine, yeah. I guess, don't. I don't. Maybe that's a distinction. I'm not sure. Nailed it. All right, let's take a quick break. <laughs> when we come back a little bit more, and we're going to talk about that France-Morocco game, and maybe some VSPs too. Back shortly. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. 
From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on Direct TV. Terms and restrictions apply. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's take a little look ahead to Wednesday's game, uh, France versus Morocco. Taylor, how are we feeling about this one? I've just got a feeling in my bones that Morocco are going to keep this charge going. Uh, I, you do? I wasn't 100% convinced by France in the England game, and I feel like there could be an upset here. The only thing about France is they just have so many individual talents that you really can't ever let up. Like like with other opponents, and I don't mean it to be disrespectful. I just like England, for example. I, I like they are very dangerous. We know that it's why like the U.S. sat off of them when maybe there was an opportunity to go for more because they can hit you on the break. But France feel like this next level team where if you give Kylian Mbappe an inch, he will score in that inch, and so. Only for that reason, for that kind of individual difference maker element, do I think like it, it probably will end up being France. I would love for it to be Morocco, though, for colonial reasons, but then also just because it would be a very compelling story. And I think it would be yeah. fascinating to see how hard they have to work to not only nullify that French attack, but then also find a way to make something happen themselves while like not risking leaving themselves exposed. And they've been able to do it. We, we, we've seen it time and time again in this tournament. We saw it even in, after they were already ahead in the Portugal game, how quickly they're able to counterattack and switch the point of attack and then get numbers forward, but still keep numbers where they need to. I think it's definitely not a foregone conclusion. I wouldn't go so far as to say Argentina, France, lock it in. We know it for sure. Uh, I think France, certainly the heavy, heavy favorites, I think will have uh, a heavy amount of the possession, a heavy amount of the uh, attacking opportunities, but it's, it's a matter of will they get clear cut opportunities that's the thing that morocco hasn't really allowed so far in this tournament i think it's going to be a really really interesting game and i and i honestly i hope it doesn't go the way this one did because i could see it being france gets one early and then that's kind of pretty much the way the game goes from there uh i hope it it is a slightly tighter affair because i could do with some drama in the second game (laughs) and taylor you mentioned some of the depth that france have and they are a deep team relative to morocco especially the weird thing is for as much talent as in the French pool, their bench, I'm not actually sure is like all that deep, which is a byproduct of them losing literally, you know, 87 different players before this World Cup starts. But as far as their bench options go, Kingsley Coman 
is going to come off the bench, surely, at, at some point in the second half. And then they have Taram, who's a, a very capable player, but maybe not someone that is going to strike fear in Morocco. There aren't a ton of players that are are really left on this bench. Benzema and Nkunku being out really hurts this group. One key, and the reason I say that is I think a key for Morocco is withstanding you know, the opening bit of pressure. Taylor, you talk about a potential early goal for France and this thing unravels. I do think that could happen. Morocco are going to be super defensive. They're going to be really compact. If they can frustrate France, if they can tire them out with a couple of counterattacks, and if they can tire them out shifting side to side to force France to play around them, which I do think is possible, then all of a sudden maybe they're forcing their way to extra time and France just don't quite have the same edge that we might expect them to have later on in the match and then it's penalty. I mean, there are ways this could go that Morocco can come out on top. I I don't think they're favored, right? I I thought Spain would beat Morocco. I thought Portugal would beat Morocco. I was wrong both times. One of these days I'm going to get it right. France is the favorite. (laughs) They have more talent. That's the obvious statement here. I mean, Morocco have shown they can do pretty much anything in this tournament and maybe they'll do something crazy tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, I I think France will, this isn't exactly a revelation, I think France will win tomorrow but it kind of dawned on me, I did a, a quick Patreon video where I just went through the narratives of all four teams in the semi-finals, and it kind of dawned on me then that this this really feels like the closest we've been to a to a true World Cup upset in terms of someone winning it in my lifetime. So we had Greece winning the Euros. This feels the closest we've been with a World Cup. I know we had Croatia in the last World Cup final, and they're, they're a smaller population than Morocco, but they've kind of got the the pedigree going back to France 98, and, and it feels like the, the players that they've got, you know them, you know, they're superstars. Morocco don't have those superstars. They have kind of gamed the system a little bit, but you look at the teams that they've, they've either beaten or shut out defensively, Belgium, Croatia, Spain, uh, Portugal... Like they they can win this World Cup, which is which is insane. Like I I there's no way I thought I would say that before the start of the tournament that Morocco could win the World Cup. So that even though that, I think I said this either last week or earlier this week, I want that Argentina France final to get that big heavyweight clash to finish this World Cup on. But I am really excited of now by the thought of Morocco winning a World Cup because that that is not something I ever anticipated. We spoke about uh, early in the tournament when we were in Brooklyn. Who would be the ninth nation to win a World Cup? We said Netherlands, Portugal, and, and and in the long term, potentially USA. I didn't think it was ever in play that a country like Morocco could win a World Cup. So f- the fact that it could happen on Sunday is unbelievable. It would be it would be fascinating to see. I, I think it's going to be really interesting how those opening 15 to 20 minutes uh, against France play out. Because at time of recording, it seems like Mazraoui will be able to play but I don't. It sounds like Aguerd and Saïs both both maybe injury doubts. We're not sure if they'll be able to play. And if you don't have your two starting center backs, even if you have those two very skilled fullbacks, uh, I, I think you can still find a way to win. Certainly, but it becomes incumbent upon Sofian Amrabat to continue to have the kind of lights out performances he's had to be the rock in the heart of that sort of midfield defense to not get pulled out, not leave his position. And that is a thing that I think France will really focus on, is trying to get him to drift a little bit. Thinking about the way they're able to open up the scoring against England, it's that shot from relative distance from Juomeni, but it's because they go from left to right and then back towards the middle, and England are stretched and dropped too deep, and then there's that shooting opportunity. That's a thing that Morocco have done really well to limit or nullify outright in other games with some of those veteran players not there, I think that becomes a harder test, not an impossible test, but certainly a more challenging one. It does indeed. All right, why don't we go around the horn with very specific predictions for this game? Who'd like to go first? Put your hands up. Anybody? Anybody? Taylor? Looks like you. 
Sure. And I'm actually going to change mine last minute. I said Kylian Mbappe will be fouled three or more times uh, based on what happened in the Denmark game, which felt uh, to me like a slightly – the Tunisia game, I think at that point France were feeling like they already threw. And so I don't know how much we can really look at that as a, as a template for how France might approach this one. I think Denmark surprisingly slightly more so. And in that game, Mbappe gets knocked around a lot. And that's the thing I think Morocco will be content to do, especially with yellow cards resetting. They don't have to worry about suspensions. Even if they did, I'm not sure they would worry that much. But I think they have the the discipline to know when to just pull him back. Just get that foul. It doesn't matter. Get that yellow card. It doesn't matter. Don't let him build up a full head of steam. And I think Mbappe is going to be fouled four or more times in this game. I like it. Graham? Um, so my VSP for this game is that Olivier Giroud, Mr. Sexy Goals himself, <laughs> will win more aerial duels than any other player. So I think Morocco are going to concede the wide areas to France like they did against Portugal for the the first 60 minutes of that match. They're going to try and stay narrow. They're going to make it um, easier for themselves to get close to France in possession and basically to stop them playing through. And that most likely means crosses from France and that most likely means Giroud going for headers from those crosses. So that is my VSP that he will win more aerial duels than any other player. I like it. Uh, Joe, what are you thinking? So my VSP for this match is that Morocco won't allow more than 1.39 expected goals in regulation. Okay, let me explain. That is how, very specific. Let me explain. <laughs> let me explain how I got there. So two decimal France, points, Joe. I know, pretty good, right? I'm, that's that is. I should get two again. I'm, I I just learned today from Kenneth Seiden that I'm like third now in the VSP Golden Boot race. Maybe I'm last. I'm desperate to claw my way back in. So maybe this, maybe this will help me get there. Anyway, the 1.39 <laughs> comes from France averaging. 1.9 expected goals per 90, according to FBREF. All this is from FBREF. And Morocco allowing 0.88 expected goals per 90 minutes. The average of those two numbers is 1.39. So I, I think France will have some moments where they are dangerous. I think they will have some chances. But at the same time, I don't think Morocco are going to get steamrolled. Now, this does change if there is a goal and they have to go forward, blah, blah, blah. But I think Morocco will do a decent job of being solid defensively. I think they're going to have to cross the ball. France will, a lot like Graham said, to find Olivier Giroud. Then it's up to Morocco as far as how they deal with those moments. So at least uh, at least less than 1.39 expected goals for France in regulation allowed by Morocco. Wow. I'm impressed with that, Joe. Uh, Graham, Joe's prediction was to two decimal places. Yours was that Giroud's going to win some headers. (laughs) I want to win, baby. I'm top of the table. I'm not taking any risks at this point. I'm seeing it out. I've gone five at the back. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll jump in with mine then. I wanted to do something about France and their fouls because they committed six billion fouls against England, but I couldn't find anything compelling enough. So my one is about France, but it's that they are going to have twice as many shots, at least twice as many shots, as Morocco in this game. They have created a lot of uh, shooting opportunities at this World Cup, and they have at least doubled the shot count of every opponent at this World Cup, except for one, Poland. Uh, mm. Poland had 12 shots to, to uh, France's 16. Everyone else, they've at least doubled the shot count of. They exactly doubled the shot count of England and Tunisia in their respective games. Uh, Morocco have only been outshot by two opponents in this contest, one of whom was Croatia in that um, not-so-great nil-nil um, group stage game between the two of them. Uh, Croatia, uh, sorry, Morocco are averaging between 7 and 10 shots per game. I think France will far outdo that in this game. I believe they will at least double their tally. Joe, did I do good? I always come to you, Joe, to ask if I did good, Daddy. 
I think you did great, Ryan. I'm really <laughs> proud of you. I toss a couple more decimal points on there, and next time we can we can really have a conversation. But no, you did great. <laughs> Thank you very much. And you know what, Joe? You did great too. Thank you very much for joining us on this podcast and all others, Joseph Larry. Ah, uh, thanks, Ryan. Graham Ruthven, a pleasure as always, sir. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. It's Messi's World Cup, or maybe it's Mbappe's World Cup, or maybe it's Sophie and Amrabat's World Cup. We'll find out over the next few days. We will. Taylor Rockwell, we turn to you for your final thought. I was doing my Jerry Seinfeld. Not Jerry Seinfeld, Jerry Springer. <sighs> I'm, I'm sad to learn that Joe and I are uh, tied for last place. I think Ryan, wow, or Graham wow. is in first, Ryan in second, I think two behind Graham, or maybe one ahead of one behind Graham, one ahead of me and Joe. Yikes. Wow. I am sad. Can you catch us? <laughs> is there a question mark on the end of that I mean <laughs> I mean, a, a if only challenge. I could make a prediction like France will do what they've already done four of the five games in this tournament if only <laughs> I could make such a prediction the problem is Taylor you and I both could have done that we just yeah. deliberately make these harder yeah. for ourselves yeah, than we, we should if we're actually trying to win I'm changing my prediction to Olivier Giroud will be handsome tomorrow Ooh. darn it yeah. that's my new prediction I'm sticking with it uh, guys, I my very specific prediction is that I think goals will be scored, and if not, they'll go to penalties. I don't know. I don't know. It could be risky. We'll see what happens. Mm. Points, please. <laughs> Graham, you're being mocked. It's just you. Just you're being mocked here. Do you realize? No, I think it is, no. It's definitely you that's been mocked. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. Actually, I think it's a little bit of both. All right, then the, uh, right, the table actually, doesn't Ryan, lie. Before we go, it's important to know, uh, how did the hunger, hunger strike go? Were you able to get unlocked from the Chili's? Are you recording from the door of the Chili's? How's it working for you? Uh, hunger strike is a fantastic song. I'm not sure what else we're referring to, if I'm honest. I <laughs> uh, didn't make it all the way through the episode. Though. Okay. There it is. Uh, he's telling <laughs> himself. <laughs> did I only listen to the geo pit at the start and then switch off? Is that what, is that what happened here? It seems to have been the case. It seems to yeah. have been the case. Don't worry about I'm, it. It's I'm, fine. I'm halfway through the episode, if I'm honest, Taylor. I'll listen to it when I go to bed tonight. My promise Aww. to you. It'll and be our up- voices that get you to sleep. I love it. All right. Sorry. You were doing your outro. I'm done. I'm being quiet. No. It, you, honestly, Joe, it usually is. I like to listen to you when I go to sleep and you send me off Aww. to the Sandman. Just you, Joe. Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> All right, listener, thank you very much for joining us on this one, which had a slightly weird ending. We'll be back for the semi-final review of France versus Morocco. But for now, bye. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 